0: Alright, greetings friends. Welcome to another edition of the Rhino Report, uh, another uh, solo edition, and uh, you know, oftentimes the case, I like to do more of an educational type program on the solo uh, editions, and uh, usually a white-collar crime, elitist kind of episode, and uh, that'll be the case uh, once again. I'm sure if any of you, go ever, none of you out there probably like enjoy going to the dentist, I would take it. Um, I know I had to go uh, not too long ago. And uh, even though my dentist and the staff there, they're pretty nice people and and whatnot, uh, no problems, issues with them personally. I don't know that I've ever uh, very many times in my life had a real pleasant experience going to the dentist. Um, It's just not uh, normal and natural to have somebody, you know clawing around you know on your teeth and drilling and you know cutting and you know scraping and just all the things that uh are involved when you go to the dentist you know it's just not natural so it's generally not a pleasant experience but uh like I said not only the dentist thou, but you know most of the ones I've had throughout my life uh I can say have been uh, pretty nice people and uh, pretty professional and and things of that sort uh certainly not what you would expect uh one to be a serial killer uh you know, maybe I could believe more being, you know, white-collar type criminals, but we're going to talk about a special rare case tonight um, that uh, is a rare combination. You know, uh, true crime podcasts oftentimes cover serial killers, uh, some, although as far as I know, this is the only one that actually focuses on white-collar crime to the level we do, but very rarely do we have cases where you have somebody that was both, but we're going to talk tonight about a gentleman, I can't really say that would be the case, but a man by the name of Dr. Glennon Engelman who operated as a dentist and not too far from uh, where I uh, live and operate out of, uh, but he operated out of St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, 1980 was a really rough year um, in St. Louis for St. Louis law enforcement. They had a lot of car bombings going on um it kept them busy um police reported at this time that it was believed to be a mafia turf war and for those of you that are from st louis or in that area there is organized crime in st louis uh, you can you know research this look this up online i mean of course i don't believe they have the you know the power and influence level that uh you know the new york you know chicago crime families and things of that sort do but There is organized crime in St. Louis, and it was believed at this time, police had a theory that this was mainly these car bombings and explosions and things were were a turf war of sort between the organized crime family in a struggle to get control of the uh, local unions. And uh, again, those of you that aren't from around St. Louis, St. Louis is a big union town. A lot of the construction, city workers, things of that sort are unionized, and uh, these are pretty lucrative uh, contracts a lot of times they uh, that they... You know, incur and uh, you know there's a battle. Somebody sometimes is going to figure they're going to make a buck off of it. And unfortunately, in our society, uh, anytime there's a quick, easy buck to be made, there are far too many people willing to do bad things to make it. And uh, but this went on, and uh, the uh, post dispatch would report that one car bombing uh, was the works of a suspected dentist, as I talked about, Mister Engelman, um, known as the South Side Dentist. Um, and he was a suspect, which we're going to talk about this bombing in a little bit. But uh, this kicked off a look at his background and found out oddly that this dentist had been con- suspected of ki- of killings going all the way back to the 1950s. And uh, every one of these killings that he did involved a financial profit or motive. And like I said, uh, it's rare to find somebody that's a serial killer for financial reasons. You might have, you know, sometimes a spouse that will kill Another one to collect the insurance money and things like that. But you very rarely have people that are willing to kill repeatedly just solely for financial gain. Because again, I know those of you, uh, not everybody's familiar, but if you've studied serial killers at any level, um, most of the time their motives are uh, in a perverse sexual nature, some type of revenge, uh, you know, some type of psychosis disorder, uh, something not right about them. But we very rarely get any that kill purely for financial motive and greed but that was the strange thing about dr engelman that is exactly um, what motivated him in his killings Um, dr engelman was born in st louis uh served in the military later went on to graduate dental school at washington university which is in st louis um Reports say he wasn't really known to be an exceptional dentist. Uh, described, uh, you know, what I saw one report about him described him as a quote mediocre uh, dentist, but in the working class south side where he operated at there in St. Louis um that was all many in the neighborhood could afford and uh you know if any of you you know like i said i know i just went to the dentist recently and actually my wife had to go around that time as well and uh even with our insurances uh we still got knocked pretty hard uh in the chops on these and uh They, it's not cheap going to the dentist. Um, I, it's just not. And even with insurance. Now, again, I know this was, you know, quite a ways back, but I'm sure at this time, even in 1980, you know, uh, by 1980 standards, it was not cheap to go to the dentist. And, uh, again, he was not known to be a great or exceptional dentist, but that was all people could afford. But as far back as 1958, Engelman was suspected of the murder of James Bullock. Um, Bullock was actually briefly married to Edna Bullock, but Edna was one time the ex-wife of Dr. Engelman. Married a very brief period of time. Um, It was suspected, but not proven, that uh, Dr. Engelman was involved in his murder, plotting with Edna to collect a life insurance policy for $64,000, which would, from the research I found, would be over uh, half a million dollars now. So, very good chunk of change. Again, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised nobody really found that odd. Uh, they were matter, they were married, I believe just a matter of weeks, um, before he was killed. And, uh, you know, my understanding he got his cut of it and, uh, she got hers and, uh, you know, they, they went on happily ever after. Um, but five years later, um, Dr. Engelman suspected in another murder, uh, murdering, a, a business partner by the name of Eric Fry. Um, it was believed that he struck Eric Fry with a rock, pushed him down a well, and then blew up the well with dynamite. And here's something you'll see plays on a little later on. He had a skill with explosives, which, you know, he unfortunately used that skill for bad things like this. Uh, believed when he served in the military, you know, he learned some of these skills and uh, he uh, used them to do away with uh, Mr. Fry's body. Again, splitting the life insurance uh, with the widow. Um, fast forward up to 1976, he shot the husband of another, uh, or of a former dental assistant of his, um, once again, splitting the, uh, insurance money, life insurance money with her. They say about probably in this case, what would be about 275,000 in today's standards. So, you know, not, not too bad of a, a chunk of change on that one. Um, and then one of the more brutal ones, uh, he was involved in in 1977 uh it was a arthur and vernita i believe is goosewell was the correct way to pronounce this uh they were murdered on their farmhouse uh near edwardsville illinois which again for those of you that aren't familiar with this part of the country edwardsville is on the illinois side right across the river from st louis um it is the home of southern illinois university the edwardsville campus the main campus Southern Illinois University is near me here in Carbondale, Illinois, but it's a college, you know, university town, um, probably, you know, 20 minutes driving time or so from St. Louis, but, uh, on that side of the river in St. Louis, even in the St. Clair County area here, even though it's, you know, St. Louis suburbs, there are a lot of farmland and things in this neighbor, in this, uh, this area as well. And, uh, he showed up out there at the farmhouse. Uh, it was believed that, uh, you know, he murdered both of them personally and uh, it was also found out later that about 17 months later, um, he murdered their son Ronald in uh, East St. Louis, Illinois. And uh, he also split the money with Ronald's widow at that time, which at this time was estimated to or suspected of being possibly over one million dollars in two days' t- uh, dollars. So uh, once again, he commits the murder uh, of a. A spouse, so to speak, uh, gets his cut of it, you know, splits, you know, the widow collects it. He gets his cut, goes on, um, you know, with business as usual. Um, there was some justice at least done in this couple's murder and in, uh, in Ronald's murder. Um, later on, the widow actually was convicted and sentenced to 50 years in prison here in Illinois. Uh, I believe she served, it said in Dwight, Illinois, which is, uh, was a female prison that operated, I don't know, hour, hour and change, uh, south of the Chicago area. Um, but I believe now due to the tax, I mean the, uh, revenue problems and things going on in Illinois that have gone on for quite some number of years, I believe Dwight is now closed, but anyway, she did a lot of time there. Um, uh, later on while in prison, which we'll get to Engelman's, you know, prison sentence and things later, but he actually did confess and admit to these murders, the murder of the Goosewell couple and, you know, later on their son, Ronald. Um, So, uh, you know, again, financial profits on all these. Um, But in 1980, he commits the one that pretty much led to his downfall and to, uh, you know, him finally being brought down for good. But in 1980, Sophie Barrera, this is a lady on the south side of St. Louis near him, operates the uh, South Side Dental Lab, and she produced, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, dental equipment, uh, you know, um, dentures, I think, things of that sort. Uh, you know, she was basically a dental supply uh, distributor. And it was later found out after her car was bombed, which, again, originally... I believe police had the right, rightfully so, suspect it was just another mafia turf war thing. You know, nobody at that time probably thought, hmm, I bet a dentist did this that owes uh, some money to uh, a business owner. But uh, apparently he was in debt to uh, Mrs. Barrera to the tune of about $14,000, which, you know, I found out in 1980 dollars is over $45,000 now. So even then, you know, I mean, you know, that's that's pretty good chunk of change to be involved Uh, to be in debt to somebody. And, uh, you know, since he wasn't a great dentist, I mean, I'm sure he made great money, but, you know, since he apparently was just basically a mediocre dentist, I'm sure he wasn't making money that uh, probably other St. Louis area dentists were. Um, But nonetheless, you know, he owed her some money. And uh, rather than take care of all that, uh, you know, and try to find a way maybe to work with her, he just figured he would eliminate the uh, problem altogether. And just, uh, he just had her killed. And uh, all in all... He was believed to have killed about uh seven people altogether um that's what he um he was convicted on three, which we'll talk about here in just a second and uh and was sentenced to life in prison, which uh kind of surprised me when I found that because um saint uh Missouri to this day still does have a death penalty and actually. You know, I'm in Illinois, and he committed uh, three of these murders actually in Illinois back in uh, the late 70s, which we had a death penalty in Illinois um, till, uh really not just a few years back. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that uh, the famous serial killer John Wayne Gacy was executed here in Illinois uh, back in, I think, 94, 95, somewhere in there. Um, he uh, was doing his time here in Southern Illinois at the famous Menard Prison in Chester, but later... Um, was brought uh, up to, uh, I believe, at Stateville for his execution. But nonetheless, in two potential states here, he faced a death penalty. Why he did not receive it, I'm not sure because, you know, these murders were cold, they were calculating, and they were purely, as again, we far too many times see in these cases, you know, simply pretty much for financial gain alone. Um, so, Doing a little look back on him, the profile that they put together on Dr. Engelman basically said he was just basically a pretty scary sociopath. Um, He said that, you know, he admitted that he could kill without remorse, um, and he enjoyed. He enjoyed planning these. He enjoyed uh, carrying out the actual killings, and that is something of note. You know, a lot of times white collar criminals, um, if they are involved in any kind of murder, they're usually the finance guy you know they're very rarely the trigger man, so to speak, but that was not the case with Dr. Engelman. He had no problem actually carrying out these killings himself. He was willing to uh you know pull the trigger and or you know in one case beat the guy with a rock and then dynamite the body and blow it up. Um, uh, one of the murders uh, of the husband of the former dental assistant uh I believe they lured out to uh a remote area of a uh, state park and whatnot. And he was off in the distance and shot the guy just, you know, cold blood from there. And, uh, you know, once he got his cut, he was, uh, on the business and back with the, the next one. And, uh, but that's the scary thing about him is the fact that he was not bothered by it. And, you know, again, a sociopath, uh, they can be charming. I'm sure, you know, to have some level of customer relations, he had to have some certain little level of charm, but, uh, you know, uh, he very callously could do these and he admitted he enjoyed them and he enjoyed trying to stay one step ahead of law enforcement. And it looks like he uh, succeeded at some level for quite a while. I mean, his first murder being suspected in 1958 and him not being brought to justice until, uh, you know, all these years later in, uh, you know, 1980 before he's finally caught. And, you know, he enjoyed it he was good at it and uh it's odd that you know again i don't know his financial situation but you know i'm sure as a dentist he at least i'm sure even if he wasn't a very good one he had enough business there in the south side of st louis i'm sure he could afford at least a modest middle class lifestyle but that was not satisfying enough for him and uh you know like so many of these he wanted more and uh, the dangerous thing about him is he was willing to you know Kill people to get more. And as I said a little bit ago, not just set it up, but actually carry it out and do it himself. You know, the seven people that he confessed to killing, um, he personally did each one of them. And, you know, all seven of them, you know, profit was to gain. Even though he didn't gain anything on a life insurance policy from Mrs. Barrera, you know, by killing her, he eliminated the debt he owed to her, which, as we said, by, uh, today's standards would have been about $45,000. So he stand, he stood to save a lot of money just simply by eliminating, uh, this problem. But he confessed to these prison, uh, in prison, he confessed to some more of these, uh, killings. Finally, in 1999, it's reported he died at the age of 71. Um, he does have a son. Um, not much I was able to find in researching for this show on, you know, much about him. Um, he did, uh, he did, uh, try to, uh, you know, from my understanding, have a good relationship with his son. There was no anything, research or anything I was able to do to determine there was any abuse or anything like that involved, but, uh, you know, financing, financial was his motive. And, uh, again, it's a rare combination. We've done shows on this podcast about serial killers. We've done shows on here about, uh, white collar crime criminals, but, this is the first that is a combination of the two and uh on the Facebook page we are going to also uh give a link to a book uh there's a book you can get on amazon thriftbook.com thriftbooks.com uh, several of them about uh, the deadly dentist as he's called here um I actually have not read it myself but I'm going to be ordering it and uh you know just for uh you know my own uh purpose on it um I don't know if it's still on um, on the FBI Files show, I think it's on uh, the Roku and on uh, a lot of smart TV streaming services, you can get, uh, there actually is a, a show they did, the FBI Files, about this case, you know, because the FBI ended up getting involved um, with the car bombings and things. They end up getting involved in the investigation on this as well. But a uh, very interesting case. Um, you know, I don't know that you know, we've had many Dennis serial killers that were also white collar criminals. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised this case has not gotten uh, more coverage over the years in media than it has. Um, Maybe if it would have happened in a, you know, more, you know, cosmopolitan area like New York or LA or somewhere like that, maybe the media would have more fascination with it. Um, Since it happened right here in middle America, you know, St. Louis, that's You know, not exactly a media glamour spot, so maybe that's why they weren't fascinated by it. But uh, it's a fascinating case that he was able to elude law enforcement for so long, um, carry on his practice, uh, you know, have a couple marriages, have a kid, um, served his country in the military. But uh, all this time was a a true sociopath. I mean, he truly lacked empathy for anyone. You know, admittedly, he enjoyed doing what he was doing. And, uh, you know, he was motivated by greed again you know, just making, you know, a good, you know, maybe middle or upper upper middle class living as a dentist was uh, not enough to suffice for him. He uh, had to do more. And uh, unfortunately, seven people lost their lives because of his, uh, you know, lack of empathy and sociopathy and uh, also uh, just, uh, you know, naked greed, as we all too often see in these cases. And uh, it's sad, but, uh, you know, it is a unique case i you know if i can find a case like this where you know there's another combination of a serial killer and a um white collar criminal i'll be glad to do an episode on that and you out there listening if you know of a case like that please feel free to contact me on the facebook page um or send us a message on our uh you know through anchor we do have it on the uh you can send uh, donations, as we've said, at every end of every show. But uh, as I always say also, we much more appreciate you following us. And, uh, you know, give us the five-star rating. And uh, follow us on Apple and Google and Spotify and all the, uh, you know, podcast hotspots. Uh, we like getting the word out. Uh, we like doing episodes like this because, uh, like I said, there aren't any podcasts that I'm aware of that talk about the crimes of the wealthy, the elite, the white-collar world. Um, that very rarely gets any media attention. And it... I don't know that it gets hardly any in podcasts, but uh, we plan on bringing more out and about on this. So, uh, you know, again, just follow us on the Facebook page if you have ideas. I'm certainly always welcome. You know, you can follow, let us know on the Rhino Report Facebook page. Just uh, if you've got an idea for an episode or if you have some issue you'd like to address, we are always glad to have you on here as a guest. Uh, you know, my friend Greg, that's often the co-host with me, you know, we've hosted several uh times other people and we'd be glad to have uh, you on as well if you have something interesting you want to discuss but uh again as I always say take time uh, help your local pet shelter out adopt volunteer uh you know foster do whatever you can um right now we don't have any fosters at the horn household but i do believe uh that may change next week uh, i think we possibly might be picking one up then um, but nonetheless, it's, uh, like I always say, it's just a joy that, uh, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving, helping out our four-legged friends like that. So stay safe out there. Like I said, be on the watch. Uh, like I said, there's always people out there trying to take advantage of us like this on, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, take our, you know, money from us every chance they get. There's always swindlers and hucksters out there. And again, there's also dangerous killers out there. And, you know, like I said, the very scary thing about this guy, he was a combination of both. Uh, that's a very rare thing. I don't want you to think that every criminal or every person out there is a potential white-collar crime slash serial killer. But uh, they're out there. And again, yeah, not too far from where I live here, you know. I mean, St. Louis is, you know, the nearest large city to me where I operate out of. So, uh you know, fascinating case. So, uh, I thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, God bless. Uh, we look forward to you tuning in. And yep, just every time, uh, every Tuesday night, seven central, we plan on releasing out new episodes. And uh, we look forward to seeing you after this one on the next one. God bless and take care, everybody.